We are live. Good morning, good morning, good morning. It's a little later today, 9 o'clock. On the 28th, I believe. 28th of January, 2021. In this new great country. Oh, it's not really new. But... Yeah. So, man, I was, uh, I dropped the kids off and I was driving around. I had to stop and talk to somebody and we whatnot. So I just like to, uh, you know, when I see people out, I like to stop and see how they're doing, talk to them, um, whatnot. So it is what it is. Uh, we talked about uh, all kinds of things. Um, Talked about uh, talked about being suspended, <laughs> and uh, he was like, "Yeah, I didn't pay too much attention to that." He's like, "What happened?" So I told him. He's like, "Oh," he was like, "Huh?" I said, "Well," I said, "I wasn't a hundred percent innocent, but I wasn't a hundred percent guilty either." So it is what it is. Um, but yeah, I ended up talking to him for quite a bit. My hands got cold. So now I'm just uh, driving around, doing uh, doing my thing, doing this podcast. And uh, I have a meeting here in about 45 minutes with uh, the principal. But let's talk about snow. What is this white stuff? Like, what in the world happened? Getting hot in here, too. What in the world happened? Why is this person following me, too? They got to turn their lights on. I wanted to go down and check out this house uh, that's being built. Seeing uh, what kind of progress there is. So... Um, but this snow, man, I woke up this morning and we had white powdery substance on the ground and it's kind of cold. So this house looks good. He done a, he's done a fantastic job on it. I really like it. So anyways, uh, and then, you know, I was bringing the kids and I was like, ah, snow and out on the, the highway that I was on was, uh, what do you call it? Uh, pretty, uh, it was kind of slick. I started going up one of the hills and, uh, I had to cruise on and I felt that my rear end slipped. So I had to hit that button real quick, the off button. And, uh, yeah. So snow, man. Finally got our, what was this, our second snow. The first one didn't last long, just a light drizzle. This one's a, it was another light drizzle, but it was, uh, I think this one's a little softer. So, yeah. I'm spinning out here, trying to, trying to get it going. Uh. So yeah, I got some 
<sighs> talked about the campaign. I got some uh, signs that uh, that I'll be putting in people's yards and shops and stuff. Uh, the old barn print shop is getting one. Um, I had a couple people said that I could put them at their house or um, they own a business. So once those are done, I will um, make sure to contact people and, and get them into their respectful places. So, and I got a magnet too. Yeah. I'll put on the truck. I'm going to go to the car wash and clean clean off the truck and then put the magnet on. So, uh, I got heart. I got vision. I can't remember what else we, we decided. Like, oh, it's your campaign. You don't even know. Uh, no, I forgot. But I can pull it up real quick. Uh, let me see. I've got heart. I've got vision. Voting for me is a good decision. Curtis Gwynn for Rich Hill School Board. Paid for by the candidate. So, just, uh, so everybody knows that it's paid for by the candidate. I have no sponsors. Um, yet. Not that I really want any, because then I'd have to do a sponsor campaign, um, whatever, whatever it is. Um, so yeah, I, I was I was driving through Rich Hill yesterday. I was driving around Rich Hill, just looking at different houses and land opportunities and and whatnot to figure out where I can build. And in the process, I found a Mustang, and I honestly thought that this place was abandoned, but I reached out to somebody that I knew that lived over that way, and they said, no, they actually live there. So I was like, oh, so I'm going to swing by there and see, uh, see if they sell the Mustang. But I heard that they won't. So we'll see. But you never know. Man. You never know. Just, uh, just to see, um, you know, if they will and how much they want for it. So, I'm, uh, I'm reading a book. I started a book last night. And it's called... Uh, I'm just going to pull over here at the park. It is called... What is the Bible? How an ancient library of poems, letters, and stories can transform the way you think and feel about everything. It's by Rob Bell... And, uh, I was actually going to buy it and I was talking to one of my buddies and he was like, well, don't buy it. Uh, I actually have that book. 
and I will I will send it to you. And now I'm looking at it. Um, and this thing costs 20 bucks. It's not even hard that. Anyways, it says, why should we bother with such an ancient book? Isn't it all myths and fairy tales? What about all the violence and the contradictions? Isn't it dangerous to take it seriously? Isn't it only for Christians? Is it inspired? Can it help us? Just what is the Bible? And that's on the back cover. Um, and so since we're talking about this, I, uh, I'm going to open it up. And uh, so this is from the Arthur. It says, I've been reading and studying and exploring and rereading and rethinking and giving sermons from the Bible for 25 years. And I find it more compelling and mysterious and interesting and dangerous and convicting and helpful and strange and personal and inspiring and divine and enjoy enjoyable than ever. Some people see the Bible as an outdated book of primitive, barbaric fairy tales that we have moved beyond. And then there are the folks who talk about how important and central and inspired the Bible is, but then butcher it with their stilted liberalism and stifling inter interpretations. But you, I want you to read the Bible in a whole new way from what is the Bible. And so I'm going to tell you that that was on the, the cover. There's like a flap. Um, and that was from the flap. So I'm going to read some introduction from the author. Because before I got to the first chapter, I was reading this introduction and I was intrigued. Um, and I'm really intrigued to read more in this book and to see what it entails. And I, I already know that I'm more than likely going to read it after I get done as well. So... There's, uh, there's that aspect of it. Um, so the introduction, it says 25 years in. To begin with, a bit about where this book come from, where this book comes from. When I was in my early 20s, I gave my first sermon. I was hooked. I decided right then and there that I was going to give my life to reclaiming the art of the sermon. I love giving sermons. I still do. More than ever. And sermons, I understand at that point, are something you give from the Bible. So I went to seminary, and I studied Greek and Hebrew, the two languages the Bible was originally written in, which I did not know Greek was one of them, me, personally. I knew that it was written in Hebrew, but I did not know that it was also written in Greek. And then it says, and I studied history and humanics and exegesis, I think that's good, and form and textual criticism. Also, I could give better sermons. Eventually, I got a job in a church, and I started giving sermons weekly. And then one day, something happened that changed everything. I had just given a sermon, and I was standing around afterward talking to people when a man named Richard walked up to me and said, now this is the introduction, mind you. This is before chapter one. 
to give you a backside of the story. And I'm reading this for those of you that haven't read it, because I haven't read it yet either. But I'm reading it, so it's not really about the Bible. It's like, what is the Bible? Um, and the guy, Richard, says, you missed it. And the preacher says, what? I asked him, what did I miss? He then proceeded to rattle off a seemingly endless list of things that were happening in the story from the Bible that I had just given a sermon about. Background and hints and meaning and innuendos and humor and tension and history. The more he went on, the more I realized how right he was. I had missed it. And this is coming from a preacher. So as a preacher, should you know everything? I don't necessarily think so. But then he said, and then he said, you know, Jesus was Jewish. And I think a lot of people forget that. I, I, I honestly do. Uh, what? Jesus was Jewish? I said. I imagine you're laughing at this point because that's so obvious. And yes, I did know that Jesus was Jewish. But not like Richard knew it. Something about that, something about that one, obvious line set off an explosion within me. Richard went on to say that Jesus lived in a first century Jewish world of politics politics and economics and common stories and inside jokes. And the more you knew about the world, the more he and his message would come to light. Richard began dropping by my office with photocopy articles by people I'd never heard of explaining mikvahs and taxation rates and kitabahs and who Shammah was and who Hillel was and why that matters. Richard introduced me to friends of his who invited me to eat with them from eat with them while they would discuss and debate and laugh and rip off on the Bible for the sheer joy of it. And they knew their stuff. It was staggering. I could barely keep up. They would point out insightful political commentary or subversive poetry or discrepancies in the text that were actually on purpose because the writer was doing something really clever just below the surface. They take a verse or a story I'd hear people talk about and they'd start discussing it and turning it in its head and pointing out all the depth and surprise and power I hadn't noticed. It was like music they were dancing to. This is in the Bible? I found myself continually asking. How did I miss this? It was like the Bible went from black and white to color, from two dimension to three or nine. Gradually, what I was learning to begin to make its way into my sermons. Let me reread that. Gradually, what I was learning began to make its way into my sermons and more significantly into my life. And once you see, you can't unsee. And once you taste, you can't untaste. And when, so I'm going to talk about that for a second. So it says, once you see, you can't unsee. Once you taste, you can't untaste. When I read that last night, I said, wow. I don't know how many times, you know, jokingly, uh, I have seen something and I would comment, I can't unsee that. You know, um, I never really took it on the taste route, but that's true as well. Because once you taste something, you're always going to have that taste. Whether it's good, bad, or indifferent. 
you know that when you bite into that raw broccoli, that it's broccoli. And you're not going to like it. Or you are going to like it. Or a carrot. You know those tastes. People started coming up to me after my sermons, sometimes visibly upset, asking, how come I never heard of any of this? This makes so much more sense. This is so much more dangerous and interesting and provocative and timely and progressive and poetic and convicting and funny. Over time, I began to realize that what was happening wasn't just that I was learning new things about the Bible, but that I was reading the Bible in a different way, a way that I hadn't been exposed to until now. And now there was a no going back, which is why I've written this book. I want to help you read the Bible in a better way because lots of people don't know how to read it. That also stuck with me. I'm going to finish up before I get back to that. Then he says, and so they either ignore it or they read it badly and cause all kinds of harm. And so those last two sentences hit me like a ton of bricks because I have read some of the Bible and I say some because it's big and I do have a problem with my mind drifting. I don't stay on the one subject. Um, you may have noticed that in my podcast, but I, I read things and I have to reread them and reread them and it takes me a while for it to grasp or I can read something, not really remember what I read. And then, you know, a couple days go by and it's like, where why is this popping in my head? And then it's like, oh yeah, I read it from a book. Um, so, And they don't know how to read it. Because the Bible jumps all over the place. Kind of like my, my brain. It jumps all over the place. And you never... And that's what is hard for me is because like I'll read it and then it's like, well, what are we talking about? Um, and then, you know, so they, so you tend to ignore it because you don't fully understand it. You don't fully get it. And that's me, uh, to say the least. Um, so yeah, there's, there's that. And then I'm going to read you this. Some people see the Bible as an outdated book of primitive, barbaric fairy tales that we have moved beyond, and so they ignore it, missing all the progressive and enlightened ideas that first entered human history through the writers of the Bible. Ideas and ideals, we still fall short, fall far short of ideas and ideals that are still way ahead of our present consciousness and practice. That's, that's, uh, that's big. And then there are the folks who talk about how important and central and inspired the Bible is, but then butcher it with their stilted liberalism and stifling interpretations, assuming that it says one thing. And if you just get that one thing, then you've read it well. But you, I want you to read the Bible in a whole new way. A few thoughts before we get rolling here. First, the Bible isn't a Christian book. That stuck with me. Because you talk, you talk about the Bible and you talk about religion and Christianity and it's like, well, it's the Bible. 
And he says, I say that because many people have come to understand the Bible as a book for a certain group of people to claim and own and then help them divide themselves from everyone else. Wow. Spot on. But the Bible is a book about what it means to be human. And we are all, before anything else, human. Isn't that amazing how he just broke that down? I think it is. So if you're reading the preface wondering if this is another one of those religious books that's going to try to sign you up and convert you at the end, or it's going to have all kinds of insider language for those in the know, this isn't the book. This is a book about a library of books dealing with loss and anger and transcendence and worry and empire and money and fear and stress and joy and doubt and grace and healing. And who doesn't want to talk about those? Second. You don't have to believe in God to read the Bible, which I thought was a very interesting fact. Like, I just assumed that the people that didn't believe in God didn't read the Bible, but that makes sense. And I figured the people that did know a lot about the Bible were at one time religious, and then they strayed away, but I was, I was wrong. In fact, as you'll see in these passages, the Bible is filled with people wrestling and struggling and doubting and shouting and arguing with the idea that there even is a God, let alone some sort of divine being who is on your side. If, you're, if you have a hard time swallowing the God talk you've heard over the years, great. This book is for you. And man, that hit home. Because part of the reason why it's hard for me to talk about religious or religion, or God, is because I don't know much about it, and it's hard for me to swallow. This book is for you, because these are exactly the kinds of things that writers of the Bible are dealing with in their writings. Third, this book is all over the place. Seriously, we're going to jump from topic to topic, and story to story, and theme to theme. Moving from poetry to history to parable to questions and rants. I did this on purpose. There is an arc, a trajectory to this book. I am trying to take you somewhere specific. But the countless twists and turns, I've arranged this book this way because this is how the Bible is. Yes, it does have an intentional arrangement to it. But there are so many moments when you find yourself thinking, where did that come from? I've been reading and studying and exploring and rereading and rethinking and giving sermons from the Bible for 25 years. And I find it more compelling and mysterious and interesting and dangerous and convicting and helpful and strange and personal and inspiring and divine and enjoyable than ever. So you can relax. There's a good chance you're going to enjoy this. And you may even find yourself thinking, how did I miss that? So that's just the introduction. That is just the introduction. And I'm checking my time here to see what we're at. We're at like 23 minutes. So I'm going to read. Um, there's something more going on here. And that's in part one. In the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 34, we read that Moses was 120 years old when he died. 
yet his eyes were not weak, nor his strength gone. A fairly straightforward verse, correct? Moses was old, and then he died. What else is there to say? Actually, quite a bit. Read the last half of the sentence again. Yet his eyes were not weak, nor his strength gone. Notice anything unusual? How about the phrase, nor his strength gone? Moses has just died, correct? Dying as a general rule is what happens when your strength has gone. So why does the writer want us to talk about Moses died, but his strength hadn't gone? A bit about the word strength here. The Hebrew scriptures were originally written in Hebrew. And in Hebrew, the word translated strength, here, here is the word liho. Liho literally means moisture of freshness. Moisture of freshness. He died, but his moisture hadn't left him. He passed on, but still had his freshness. One translation reads, nor had his natural forces abated. While another reads, he still had his vigor. While the JPS Torah comment, commentary notes that Ibn Ezra understood the verse to mean that Moses had not become wrinkled. Please tell me you're smiling at this point. Moisture. Natural forces hadn't abated. He hadn't become wrinkled. What does a writer really want us to know about Moses? This phrase with the word liho here, just to make sure we're all clear, is a euphemism for sexual potency. That's what the storyteller here wants us to know about Moses at the time of his death. That's right, friends, Moses, the great leader of the Hebrews, the liberator who led his people out of slavery, the hero who defined Pharaoh, and the one who climbed Mount Sinai to meet with God, the towering figure of the Hebrew scriptures when he died, he could still get it up. Just so you know, which, of course, raises the question, why? Why does the writer want the reader to know this? To answer the, that question, you have to go back much earlier in the history of Moses' people to a man named Abraham. Abraham had many sons, and many sons had father Abraham, and Moses was one of them. Abraham, we learn in Genesis, the first book of the Bible, left his father's household and everything familiar and set out on a journey to a new land. People didn't do that at this at that time in history because they had silical view of history in which everything that has happened will happen again. They believe that you're born into a cycle of events and you'll die somewhere in that same cycle of events as the cycle endlessly repeats itself. In other words, there's nothing new. What happened to your ancestors will eventually happen to you, and then it will re happen to your children as your family goes around and round the cycle. But then Abraham leads. He steps out of the cycle. He walks into a new future, one that hasn't happened before. No one had ever done that before because no one had ever conceived of the world and life and future like that before. This was a new idea in human history, that you weren't, that you weren't stuck, that you didn't have to repeat everything that, you had, that had already happened. pretty interesting. So I'm going to cut it off there and I will, I think I'm going to just read this book to you guys.
and kind of see what happens. Oh, man, it was my phone. Because uh, we're at 28 minutes, and I have to go to the school for a meeting. So I'm very intrigued by the book just in the first, I don't know, 15 pages that I read last night. That's not counting the pages, the introduction. I'm intrigued by it. And, you know, you don't have to be religious because I think most of you know me, know that um, I'm not that religious. I am in my own way struggling and I need to do better, whether that's reading the Bible or reading this book to read the Bible. Um, I really like the fact that he said that they would have lunch or meetings and they would just break down the Bible and... I like it for the simple fact that, you know, you're discussing the things in the Bible, and it's a conversation, and you may not agree with everything in the Bible, or how if somebody breaks it down, and that relates to everything going on in, into the world, like, if we can't talk about it, we can't fix it, we can't understand it better, so that's just my thoughts on it. But I'm going to sign off here. As always, it's a pleasure. I love each and every one of you. And until next time, we are off.